Um, this morning, we're going to be in James chapter 3. So if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn to James chapter 3. If you don't have a Bible, that's fine. The scripture is going to come up on the screen as we go along this morning. <clears throat> Excuse me. I didn't realize how dry that bread was going to be, if I'm honest with you. I've never led communion, and so I was not prepared for how dry the bread was. It is way less, less dry when I'm out there taking it among you. Uh, it dried me out really quickly. Okay, I'll, I'll focus up. James chapter 3. We're going to be in uh, verses 1 through 12 here at the beginning. Um, but this is, this is a very famous passage of Scripture. It's uh, about taming the tongue, as many people have called it. Um, but it's actually not the first time that James mentions our tongue in the book of James. And so let me give us a little bit of a background as we, as we get to the Scripture this morning. James is writing to Jewish Christians all around the world, but, but mostly in Asia Minor uh, when he originally writes this letter. Now many people copy it down and they pass it around among all the early churches. And so many, many people are reading the book of James and reading this letter and, and, and using it to develop their theology and things like that. And so this passage has become very, very famous over the last 2,000 years as we've, as we've studied what it means to tame the tongue or what it means to speak life, which is what I've named the sermon this morning is speaking life, because that is what James calls us to. We should be speaking constructively to each other and not destructively to each other. We should be speaking life into everybody around us, not just the body of believers, which is important absolutely to do that, but including those who are all around us, especially those who do not know what it means to have life spoken over them and things like that. And so James chapter 3 is going to address that, but he's already kind of tipped his hand about what he thinks about the tongue. James has written about the tongue in chapter 1, and he, and he writes two pieces about it. So I'm going to read James chapter 1 verses 19 through 20. It says this, my dear brothers and sisters, understand this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger, for human anger does not accomplish God's righteousness. Now, already, James is already kind of making this connection between human anger and speaking too quickly, right? He's already making that connection, that we have a problem with our mouths if we're not thinking before we're speaking. And then in verse 26 of chapter 1, James says, If anyone thinks he is religious without controlling his tongue, his religion is useless, and he deceives himself. Pure and undefiled religion before God the Father is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress, and to keep oneself unstained from the world. And so James has already mentioned twice what he thinks about our tongues, how, how important they are, how powerful they can be. He's already showing his hand. And then in chapter 3, he talks about these themes much deeper, and he uses incredible and intense imagery to talk about how we use our words and how we use our tongue. And so I'm going to read James chapter 3, 1 through 12 for you. And so as we approach the text this morning, I'd like to pray. So bow your heads with me, and then I'll read for us this morning. Uh, Father God, we just come to your word humbly. Lord, we ask that you would speak to us through these words. We thank you for the ministry of your brother, James that he ministered to the people then and he is ministering to us even now, Lord. We thank you for your word, how it shapes us, how it molds us, Lord. I just pray that we would be molded into your image as a result of it this morning. Jesus, it's in your holy name we pray. Amen. James chapter 3, verses 1 through 12 say this. Not many should become teachers, my brothers, because you know that we will receive a stricter judgment. For we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is mature able also to control the whole body. Now, if we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we direct their whole bodies. And consider ships, though very large and driven by fierce winds, they are guided by a very small rudder, wherever the will of the pilot directs. So too, the tongue is a small part of the body. It boasts great things. 
Consider how small a fire sets ablaze a large forest, and the tongue is a fire. The tongue, a world of unrighteousness, is placed among our is placed among our members. It stains the whole body, sets the course of life on fire, and is itself on fire by hell. Very intense language James used to talk about the destructive force of our words. Verse 7, every kind of animal, bird, reptile, and fish is tamed and has been tamed by humankind, but no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With the tongue, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in God's likeness. Blessing and cursing can't come out of the same mouth. My brothers and sisters, these things should not be this way. Does a spring pour out sweet and bitter water from the same opening? Can a fig tree produce olives, my brothers and sisters, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a saltwater spring yield fresh water. And so James 3 has some very intense imagery for what it means to have control over our tongue, for, for what the power of the tongue is. Uh, James depicts it very negatively here, that it's lit on fire by hell. Very intense imagery for what he thinks about the tongue. But for a moment here, to understand the message fully of, of what James is saying about our tongue here in chapter 3, we kind of have to take a step back. We have to take a bird's eye view at the book. Because based on the way that James has organized some of these thoughts and written about these thoughts, it can reveal part of the message about what he wants to communicate to us about our words and about our tongue. And so James 3 is situated right up next against another teaching about faith and works. And the last time I preached was just a few weeks back, and I talked through this passage, James chapter 2, verses 14 through 26. And it's all about our works. It's about having a living faith and not a dead faith. It's all about fighting apathy and how our faith is shown through our works. And so there's this saying that we have in our culture today that, that your actions speak louder than your words. I don't know how old that saying is, but it's probably been around for quite some time. But that's, that's kind of a baseline for a lot of people. Many of us believe and agree with this is that our, your actions speak louder than your words. Now, I believe, based on the way that James has written this, it's not that he would say the opposite of that phrase, but I don't think he agrees with it. I believe James would say that our actions are just as important as our words and that our words are just as important as our actions. James would say that the mature believer is able to show his faith in his works and also show his faith in his words, that they're on equal playing ground. And so my first point for you this weekend is that our words are just as important as our actions. And we see that by the way that James organizes and, and puts around his thoughts. This is, this is what he's trying to show us, is that both our words and our works, both of them are, are displaying our faith. And so they're equally as important as one another. James knows that our words have power. He fully believes that our words have power. James talks about the mighty animals that have been tamed, and yet we have no control over our words. And I'd love to take this illustration that he uses, and, and let's chase the logic just a little bit together. Um, but he says that every animal, every bird and reptile and fish has been tamed by humankind, and yet we cannot tame our tongues. And as I was reading this passage this week, I'm, I'm thinking to myself about taming birds. Um, sometimes when you study, you don't end up studying just scripture, but you study like the, the culture of what's going on at the time. And, and so James would have been familiar with systems where, you know, you tie the message to the bird and for some reason that I don't understand, it will fly to where you need it to go to deliver a message. Now I've grown up in an era where we have these things. And so, so phones obviously take care of that need for us. It's hard for me to imagine 
a day and a place where you can legitimately trust an animal like a bird to deliver messages for you. That's very strange to me, and it will never make sense. And so whoever the person is that figured that out, whoever figured this out and tamed birds to do that is incredible, and I'll never fully understand it, okay? And even that, it's got to be so complex to train a bird to do this. And it's the same way with our tongues. It's, it's, there's no way that you can do it in one day. There's no way that you can tame a bird to deliver a message in one day. There's no way that you can tame your tongue in one day. It's a lifetime achievement is to tame your tongue. And then I was also reading through that verse, and I just kind of got to thinking that I'm, I'm going to be helpless and hopeless with the whole taming the tongue thing because I can't even get my dog to sit for a treat. If I can't tame my dog... There is little hope that I will tame my tongue, but that's the point of the power of the tongue. It's, that it's going to take time to gain control over it because so quickly our tongues become destructive and our words become destructive. And that's what James was saying in chapter one, that we should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. He's tying our anger and our quick speech together. And I know that I'm just as guilty as anybody of being too quick with my tongue and becoming destructive and angry only. That's something that we must fight against, but it's also due to the power of our tongue. There's so much power in this small part of our body. Our words have power, and they have an impact that we may never know. Our words will have an impact that we will never know. And and maybe you're one of those people that sticks to the phrase, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Maybe that's something that you've heard. Maybe that's something that you kind of live your life by. That's fine. That's an okay thing to believe. I, I personally would disagree with it because words have hurt me before. Uh, I, many of you, I'm sure, words have hurt you before, I'm sure. Um, but, but that's because we, we don't know what the full impact of our words are going to be. And so some of the smallest things that have been said to me have, have become destructive, even if the person didn't fully understand the impact of the words that they were saying. Okay, uh, there's an experience, not a negative one, a positive one. Uh, I, was, I was at camp a summer camp in the year 2011. It was my first ever time to go on like a youth group camp. And we, w- we go to this camp and it's big and there's a ton of kids and I had no I- idea how to act. And I was, you know, a preteen, so I was really awkward. And it was a strange time to be at camp. I don't remember much else about camp other than that, but I do remember one thing. On the last day, one of the staffers comes up and he's talking about the missions offering that we were taking as a camp. And he talked, I, I remember almost, almost word for word what he said. He said, we should give until we have to sacrifice something else. He called a bunch of, you know, 12 to 18 year olds to give until they had to give something else up. We all came to camp with a little bit of pocket money. And he's saying, give that until you have to sacrifice something that you want. And so he would say to us, you know that money that you're saving to go to the coffee shop in the morning? Give until you have to give up your latte. And it was a very simple principle, a very simple idea, but it has stuck with me ever since. I don't remember the dude's name. I don't really remember what he looks like. He has no idea who I am. I was just another face in the crowd at that camp years and years ago. But that simple three to five minute talk that he gave has absolutely changed the way that I've gone about sacrificing and giving of my own money to this day, in fact, when we, when we uh, were doing the Membesi orphans, in fact, we still do, we still have orphans available that you can sponsor. When we, when we had a push to start sponsoring these kids, my wife and I sponsored too, and, and it was this same thought from that camp 10 years ago this summer that I should give until I have to give something else up, that I should, sac- that I should give until I need to sacrifice something else. Now, that simple statement has stuck with me for so long 
we will never know the impact of our words. We will never know the full impact of our words. My mom and my dad, their words have shaped my entire mindset and worldview. I mean, when we were around the table, we, we talked theology. We talked about the Bible. For those of you who don't know, my dad is a pastor. He's a pastor to this day in Texas. And, and, and we grew up. That's just the way I grew up was around the dinner table. We talked about what the Spirit was doing. We talked about the Bible. We talked about theology. That's how I shaped my entire worldview. Those, those words have shaped me. Those conversations over years of time have shaped me. And there's not just one that I can point to. And that's because of the power of words. Each little conversation and moment can mean something so much bigger because our words have power to shape, to shape others. The reason James knows that our words have power is because he's read his Bible. He's read his Bible. Now, it might be strange to think of the people who are writing the Bible, to think of them as interacting with the Bible also, but James was a Jewish man, grew up in a Jewish family, and so he would have memorized, you know, uh, the first five books of our Bible, that what they would call the Torah. He would have memorized that by 12 or 13 years old. He would, have, he would have been very, very familiar and very steeped in the scriptures that we would call the Old Testament. He would have had a very deep knowledge of them. And so because of that knowledge, he knows that our words have power. He, he's read the story about how God with his words brought about our reality when he was floating over the dark waters. He's read the story of Moses, that Moses goes up on Mount Sinai and God's words are put into stone to be the Ten Commandments. He, he knows that our words have power. But because he's familiar with his Bible, because he's read the stories, he's also read the story of David. And he knows that our words have the power to bless and to curse. And that is my second point for you this week, is that our powers, our, our words are used to bless and to curse. We live in attention there. And James knows this because he's read his Bible. He's read the story of David. When David, with his mouth, with his voice, speaks with God, comes into communion with God, becomes part a part of a promise. He becomes part of a covenant with God with his mouth. And yet with that same mouth, he orders the killing of a man named Uriah so that he can have that man's wife, Bathsheba. Out of the same mouth, a man will come into covenant with God and commit murder. James has read his Bible and knows that our mouths are used to bless and to curse. James is not adding any new teaching. He's not adding anything new. He is calling us and the people that he is writing to back into the stories of the Bible, the stories that are telling us these things about our words over and over and over again. James is very obviously familiar with the book of Proverbs because he takes the wisdom of the Proverbs, the wisdom about our words. The Proverbs is full of wisdom about how we speak and the words that we use. It's full of wisdom about that. He takes all of these separate phrases and wording about, about our words and he puts them together to truly create a theology about how we should speak to one another. And so I'm going to run through a couple different Proverbs. Um, I've got just a few verses that I'm going to run through and kind of explain as we go. But these are verses that, that James has on his mind and possibly even before him. To th think of James writing down this letter to early Christians, and he's got Proverbs open right, right in front of him. These are the things that he's drawing on to write his own letter. Um, Proverbs chapter 12, verses 18 and 19, it says this, There is one who speaks rashly like a piercing sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Truthful lips endure forever, but a lying tongue only a moment. And see, just like here, the one who speaks rashly is like a piercing sword. Our words can be so damaging. Chapter 12, verse 22 of Proverbs, Lying lips are detestable to the Lord, but faithful people are his 
delight. Chapter 13, verses 2 and 3. From the fruit of his mouth, a person will enjoy good things, but treacherous people have an appetite for violence, and the one who guards his mouth protects his life, and the one who opens his lips invites his own ruin. And so we can damage other people, and we bring about our own ruin with our words, with the power of our words. Excuse me. Chapter 14, verse 3. The proud speech of a fool brings a rod of discipline, but the lips of the wise protect them. Chapter 15, verses 1 and 2. A gentle answer turns away anger, but a harsh word stirs up wrath. And the tongue of the wise makes knowledge attractive, but the mouth of fools blurts out foolishness. Chapter 15, verse 4. The tongue that heals is a tree of life, but a devious tongue breaks the spirit. And this, this verse right here is so interesting. It is absolutely playing out in the Old Testament, this idea of blessing and cursing being from the same mouth. You see, James makes his comparison here, and he says that the mouth, it stains the whole body. It sets the course of life on fire and is itself on fire by hell itself. The ultimate picture of destruction and evil and brokenness is hell. That's the ultimate picture of it. And that's what James compares our mouths to. And yet in the Old Testament, he's drawing from the same verse where the verse says that a healing tongue, a constructive tongue, is like the tree of life. And that's the image of the garden is the tree of life. And an image for our hope of a future heaven, a future Eden that we get to take part in. And so the tree of life is this ultimate picture of blessing and, and so the mouth contains the ultimate picture of blessing, can bring healing. And yet it also carries the ultimate picture of destruction, evil, and toil, and brokenness. And that's the tension I mentioned earlier. That's the tension that we live in, that we're constantly choosing between, that we are constantly coming to grips with, that we are constantly, hopefully, fighting against the destructiveness. Proverbs chapter 15, verse 7 The lips of the wise broadcast knowledge, but not so the heart of fools. Chapter 10, verse 11. The mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life. Very similar picture to the tree of life. But the mouth of the wicked conceals violence. Chapter 11, verse 9. With his mouth, the ungodly destroys his neighbor. Destroys his neighbor with his words. But through knowledge, the righteous are rescued. And the last one I'll share. Chapter 16 of Proverbs, verses 24 in verse 27, a pleasant, or pleasant words are a honeycomb, sweet to the taste and health to the body. In verse 27, a worthless person digs up evil and his speech is like a scorching fire. And this is exactly where James gets the image of fire on our lips. He's taking these verses, he's taking these words, and he's simply repeating them. The same themes, the same images, he is painting the same picture Same picture as the Old Testament Proverbs. And so not only do our words bring about our own destruction, but we destroy others. And that's that's what I'm talking about with this tension. We destroy ourselves, we destroy others. Or we can have healing lips that bring about the tree of life, that bring about God's kingdom here. We choose how to employ our words, whether to bless others or to curse them. And Pastor Charlie mentioned this actually um, one month ago. Uh, he, he, was, he was doing communion, and he, and he began to explain things about the kingdom of God uh, because we prayed the Lord's Prayer together in, in that service. And he talked about the kingdom of God as being present. It's not something that we're hopeful for. It's not something that when we die, we get to go and be a part of. The kingdom of God is something that we participate in now, Charlie talked about the kingdom of God can be present in our marriages. When we, when we participate in the teaching of God, the kingdom is present. 
when we participate in the teachings of Jesus, we are ushering in the kingdom. And it is the same way. It's the same way with our words. We usher in the kingdom of God when we use our mouths to bless and not to curse. And when we use our mouths to be destructive and to destroy and to bring evil, we're not bringing about the kingdom. We're bringing about the kingdom of man, the kingdom of brokenness and evil and sin. That's the tension we live in. Those are the choices that we make. Now, are any of us perfect? I'll answer for you. No, none of us are. James knows this. He knows that our mouths are hypocrites, that one day we'll be doing well and we'll be singing and worshiping God and and we'll be using correct language and we'll be blessing others with our mouths. He knows that some days we'll be stressed. He knows that some days we won't be having a good day and we'll take that out on a loved one. He knows this. He knows that there is hypocrisy in our mouths. But part of understanding living in this tension and living in this imperfect state that we are is understanding what it truly means to curse somebody else. Because I know that, that when I was younger and I was reading the Bible like this, I was really confused because I, the only concept of cursing that I really had was like four-letter English words that were like a no-no, right? That got my mouth washed out with soap from my mom. Okay, that's, that was the concept of it. Or, because I read a ton of fantasy books when I was a kid, I thought it was like, you know, you had to find a wand, your eyes would glow green, you would say some weird words, and then somebody would have bad luck for seven years. Okay, that was kind of the full picture concept of cursing that I understood. So when I came to the Bible, I didn't really fully understand what James was talking about. What James means here, when we curse others, when we become destructive with our mouths, that's cursing others. When we gossip about one another, that's destructive. When we judge other people, where we begin to label other people based on things that we do not know. When we begin to have assumptions about others that are destructive, that are looking at them in a way that the world would look at them and not in the way that Jesus would see them. That's cursing others. And so understanding that is part of living in the tension that we do. And our goal should be to speak life over one another, to be constructive in our words. To be constructive in our words. The third and the final thing this weekend is that our words are linked to our heart. And so if our mouth, if our mouth is a hypocrite, then our heart is also, because our heart, our, our words show the position of our heart. Matthew chapter 15, I'll read a few verses um, about what Jesus says about our mouths. Matthew chapter 15, verses 10 and 11 say this, summoning the crowd, he told them, listen and understand. It's not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth. This defiles a person. Our words defile us. I'm going to skip a few verses down to verse 16. Jesus says, do you still lack understanding? He asked. Don't you realize that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is eliminated? But what comes out of the mouth comes from the heart, and this defiles a person. For from the heart come evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, sexual immoralities, thefts, false testimonies, slander. These are the things that defile a person, but eating with unwashed hands does not defile a person. That is not Jesus saying that you don't have to wash your hands before dinner, everybody, okay? Wash your hands, please, and thank you. (laughs) But our words are tied to our heart. What we speak reveals what's on the inside, and what's on the inside is what defiles us. We have broken hearts. We have impure hearts. We have evil hearts. We have evil motivations. But Jesus teaches us 
that taming the tongue is a heart issue. Speaking life is a heart issue. It's about the posture of our hearts. It has less to do with what you believe so much as how you believe it. That's the difference between position and posture. Your position, that's what you believe. That's your theology. That's your worldview. That's, that's your logos. That's, your, that's what you believe. And your posture is how you believe it. Because you can believe good things. You can believe positive things. You can take the Bible at face value. You can take it at its word. You can profess Jesus' name. But if you do it with pride in your heart, with envy in your heart, with destructive motivations and destructive words then has this word really changed you? Because it has not changed your posture. And your words reveal the posture of your heart. We can believe the right things and never be changed by Christ, and that's revealed by our words. Um, In this last little section of James chapter 3, I'm going to switch back to James. I know I've been all over the Bible recently. James chapter 3, verses 13 through 18, is the last part of the chapter. And James kind of addresses this idea about position and posture. And he talks about the posture of having Christ's wisdom put within us. So let me read it for you. It says this, who among you is wise and understanding? By his good conduct, he should show that his works are done and the gentleness that comes from wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and selfish ambition in your heart, don't boast and deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For where there is envy and selfish ambition, there is disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peace-loving, gentle, compliant, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering, without pretense, and the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who cultivate peace. James says that what is on the inside will show itself through our words and our actions, which he has just spent the last two chapters talking about. He's just been talking about our works and our actions and how those are changed by Christ. And now he's talking about our words and how our words are changed. Our mindset is changed. Our perspective is changed through our love of Jesus, through his spirit being within us, changing our perspective. That changes the way we speak. See, James really reflects and mirrors the Sermon on the Mount here uh, in much of his teaching, but James brings up the topics of our words and our actions and how they're linked together and they're linked with our heart. And that's the genesis of the issue. He brings up the base issue, the genesis of the issue, and that's our hearts, that's our, that's our attitude, that's our posture towards others. That's truly the problem. It's not in the words you spoke, but it's the motivation of the heart behind it. The wisdom of our heart comes begins to come through our words. And if our hearts are in pursuit of God, then that will be evident in the way that we speak. And the way James says it is that we should cultivate peace. We should cultivate peace. He says that the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who cultivate peace. And so that is his call for us with our words, is that we should speak life, that we should cultivate peace within us so that we might sow it all around us. And that is our call. Cultivate peace. Peace.